Welcome to BIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. There's a very interesting new report from Deloitte, the global professional services firm for the LGBT plus Chamber of Commerce in Canada. And it examines LGBT plus owned businesses. It's being shared this week at the Chamber's annual meeting, and it finds barriers to success are largely due to discrimination. Uh, that there are some really startling statistics in the report that we're going to discuss today, among other things, with the CEO and the co-founder of Canada's LGBT plus Chamber of Commerce, Daryl Shurman, who has an extensive leadership background in the tourism and transportation industries. Thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, look, it's, you know, it's 2021, uh, but many of these reports findings felt like a much earlier era. Let's start by talking about, maybe start by talking about what didn't surprise you in it. Um, and, and that's a that's a really good question because I think uh, immediately you go to those areas that do surprise you. I think the what didn't surprise me was the, the size and the the size of the the community of the business community and the economic impact of the of the community to some degree. Um, this study showed that there's you know over a hundred thousand LGBT plus entrepreneurs and businesses across the country. Um, mm. And I think that that's for many that is surprising. We, this is our second national landscape study that we've done. And in our, in our previous study, that number was substantially lower. And, and we knew that that was wrong. Um, we knew anecdotally um, when we look at data coming out of the US and just kind of proportionally based on the size of, of the LGBT community in general, we knew um, those, those numbers previously were underestimated. And mm -hmm. And, and you mentioned, you know, the, at, the, at the opening here around discrimination, and, I, and we 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 realize that many LGBT entrepreneurs are still hesitant to self-identify, and I think that that was part of the reason why previously, you know, those those numbers were were um, were a little lower than estimated. So I, I'm happy to see that you know this this study better aligns with where we felt the number of businesses yeah. um, sits. Um, and then the economic impact. I, I think that, um, you know, we, we kind of pegged it at around um, $22 billion. This number is a little bit lower, well, quite a bit lower, but I, I think still that uh, we know that the, the, at the end of the day, the economic impact that our businesses are having on the Canadian economy is significant and, and can't be overlooked. Yeah, so, so then um, let's get to, I think, what is sort of the, the more problematic side of, of the findings, which is really that, that uh, you know, owners feel, first of all, reluctant to identify their identities, you know, um, they feel uh, hindered, they feel like it's cost and business. Um, expand upon that a little bit and help us understand the, the extent of that. Yeah, and, and, and you're right, like when, the, these numbers are, are, are very startling and, and, and unfortunate. And, you know, so I'll, I'll throw some, some stats out there. Um, we know that from this research that one in three 
have on at least one occasion have purposely hidden the fact that they have LGBT ownership. So here already one in three. Not, not just uh, purposely, right? Like not, not just not men, but purposely. Hidden. They've purposely yeah. hidden the fact that they have LGBT ownership. And I think it goes to this, this next point where it's um, one in three have, have actually faced discrimination in, in the past because of LGBT ownership. So it makes sense that if you've actually experience discrimination that you're going to be more hesitant than to 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 self-identify or to be to be actually out and identify and can you help me understand like when you're talking about discrimination is it is it i mean is it hostility is it uh is it just like uh, you know you can't get a loan you can't get a you can't get the right place to situate your business you can't your supply chain is off kilter. What, what what is it that that you you can say here is 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 the is the um, you know is is the consequence of this discrimination? Yeah. yeah, and I think that and that's a really good question. And I think that there's a lot of different elements that could be packed into that because I think discrimination to um, to everybody can have different meanings. Obviously, um, yeah. you know, one of the things that we know and and you touched on it was that we found that one in four have stated that they've actually lost contracts because of LGBT ownership. So obviously, you know, that's a piece of the discrimination is the actual loss of, of contracts because of LGBT ownership. Um, but you, you touched on some of the other elements in terms of accessing capital, um, inability to acquire suppliers, accessing mentorship. So all of these pieces, as soon as, um, you know, it's these are barriers that they're facing and that ties very closely into that that fear of, of discrimination. So um, kind of whatever area it is, how you know, they're interpreting this to be discrimination based on um, the fact that they identify as LGBT plus. And yet I would have to think that uh, the majority of these businesses that are being identified uh, as ownership in the LGBT plus community would be in major cities where I might be wrong, but I, I would assume that they are the ones that, um, you know, have the greatest sense of uh, tolerance, acceptance, integration, uh, programming, all these types of things that, that really have, you know, taken, a, taken away a lot of the earlier forms of discrimination that we, that we experienced in our time. And, and yet it sounds like they're still trapped in this old era. So I, I think there's a few things. So first of all, this was a national this was a national study, and so um, absolutely the the bulk of of LGBT plus businesses do tend to center in kind of those three larger urban centers. Um, but you know we, we do have LGBT plus businesses across the country in all in all areas, not just our larger urban centers. So um, I, I think that you know we we do tend to see. Uh, a little bit higher propensity for um, you know, feelings of discrimination uh, from some of the more rural or, or non-larger urban centers. But even in the larger urban centers, it's, you know, we, I think sometimes we live in this bubble where we think that, you know, where we have, you know, progressive laws and, and, and rights, but, you know, we're still dealing with people um, that have perhaps different perspectives and and um and different attitudes and 
you know, when we start to look at when it comes to procurement, you know, when we're talking about loss of contracts and procurement, um, you know, a business might be residing in one of the larger urban centers, but perhaps the purchaser that they're dealing with from this company um, may not be necessarily in that same city or may not even be in Canada, right? So you may be dealing with um, purchasers that are, are from whose who's, um, experiences and, and backgrounds and, and thoughts may not necessarily be as progressive and inclusive as, as what we tend to think is kind of the, the general uh, landscape here in Canada. So, so you, you know, you mentioned a figure earlier about the, the, the scope of, if you want to call it the, this ownership community and what it, you know, the composition of the business or the, you know, what, what it comprises. Um, can you put a, a number or something close to a number on what you think the cost is of this discrimination in terms of say economic activity among this ownership that's you know what i we we don't have that number yet but that is something that we're working on so this as you pointed out at the, the start here this is this research that has come out from Deloitte is, is very new. It's brand new here. Um, and so we're still kind of digesting it. And I think that that's certainly a big impact um, or a big consideration that we want to kind of delve into is what is the, the financial implication of this? Um, I, I think that there, there's been other studies done showing not necessarily focused on entrepreneurs, but around LGBT inclusion in general, when we're talking around employees and, and, uh, and, having inclusive workplaces. And we know that there's significant financial um, implications because of uh, employees not feeling included within the workplace. So, you know, you're, you're right. We need to kind of put some dollars to what this impact is um, from an entrepreneurial side. Um, but if, if we, again, if, if, we're, if we're hearing that a quarter of businesses have faced the loss of contracts, that's a, that's a significant that's a significant financial impact not only for our the LGBT community but for our our local and provincial and national economies you know um, we have to keep in mind that you know LGBT plus businesses they're creating employment they're paying taxes and so you know when when they're having challenges and barriers to to growing their business that hurts us all yeah. I wonder, I mean, I don't want to get a, into a generalized answer here. You know, I always fear what those uh, can be. However, if, if I were to take a look at, at, say, an LGBT plus business owner, my assumption would be that that person has experienced uh, challenges with, you know, with, with, um, with identity in communities growing up. So, okay, I, uh, that part... But do they actually, is there like another layer of apprehension or fear or reticence or hesitance in starting a business? Is, 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 is it still at that space where, where an owner or, you know, a prospective owner would say, I, I know that if I start this business, I'm, I'm going to have yet another wave of, of issues to deal with here? It's it's interesting if you if you kind of go back uh, not far in history sadly, you know it was 
you know, although it was 1969 when, you know, um, same-sex relationships was decriminalized, but, you know, the there's still continue to face, uh, LGBT people in general continue to face discrimination and it wasn't, in, the Human Rights um, Act wasn't, wasn't, didn't include LGBT individuals until, um, and I'll, I'll get my dates wrong here, but into the late 90s. And so a lot of LGBT people were still facing kind of this discrimination in their work, in their workplace. Um, you know, the federal government, they could still be, they could be fired for, for being gay if they were in the military. Um, right. Up until 1997. And so what we, we saw kind of in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, you know, a lot of LGBT people felt that, you know, they didn't want to continue to be in a, you know, traditional workforce where they, you know, face discrimination had could potentially be fired for being um, LGBT. So what we saw, uh, and this is some of the, the historical research that we've been looking at is um, a lot of LGBT individuals decided, well, entrepreneurship is a way that I can kind of um, at least take a little bit more control over that. So, you know, I didn't necessarily, you know, if I start my own business, I don't have to worry about being fired. But right. to, to your point, then it's, it's unfortunately the same challenges is that they may not have to worry about being fired, but they have to worry about, do I, do I promote myself as an LGBT entrepreneur or an LGBT plus owned business um, for mm-hmm. fear of it's the same thing, loss of contracts and, and your, your clients. And so I think, again, we, we've progressed a lot since then, but this what we think we've progressed a lot since then, but this data still shows that we still got some ways to, uh, ways to go. Yeah. Is it, uh, is it Daryl though, uh, also the case that, um, there is, there is obviously also a, a real asset and, uh, and, and you know, there's no question that, that businesses, um, will sometimes actually very proudly, uh, identify themselves as, as being owned, uh, in the community and, and essentially, um, try to draw upon um, others in the community for their, for their customer base. But do you worry that we, that this, that these findings kind of suggest that, you know, we we're still not at the point where there's a full and complete economic integration here that, that there's some segregation of, of, you know, customer forces and, 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 you know, supplier forces and things like that. It goes to show that we we still have exactly a, we still have a, a ways to go, and I think that you know to to your comment, you know, early on we saw LGBT businesses realizing that you know there was value for them to to connect, to do business with each other, but also to act as support mechanisms for each other, and so. Um, here yeah. in Canada, uh, we started to see the, the formalization of, of LGBT plus chambers of commerce or, or business associations at the local level to really kind of help support that. You know, again, it's it's creating that that network of, of like minded or I shouldn't even say like minded businesses, but businesses that have a shared and common um, connection, at least with one element. Right. Um, and a shared and a shared and common set of challenges, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. and, and shared experiences, right? So here is you're creating that network, and at the same time, what they're looking to do is do business with each other. So if 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 you're looking for an accountant, well, 
you know, I, I'm going to look, see if I can support, you know, another LGBT accountant or mm. caterer or whatever it is. Um, and so I think that's where you, you started to see um, the LGBT business community start to kind of really kind of work closely together. But I think you fast forward to today, um, there, there is, there's a need to be beyond that. You know, how do we make sure that, you know, at the corporate level, at the government level, um, that when we start to look at procurement, that we're not just um, going to our, you know, our, the same suppliers that we've always been using. How do we make sure that our supplier base is diverse and that includes LGBT suppliers? And, and so that's where we're at, I'd say today, is like changing that mindset, um, you know, at the, the larger institutions, you know, starting to get corporations and starting to get governments at all levels to think about the importance of supplier, of, of the diversity of suppliers. And, you know, we're getting there, you know, we, yeah. um, as, as you mentioned, you know, we have, um, we're hosting our annual summit this, this week, and many of our corporate partners are, are with us because they're looking, they understand the value of using and, and engaging um, with diverse suppliers. They know that having LGBT suppliers or women-owned suppliers or Indigenous-owned suppliers or Black-owned suppliers brings different perspectives, brings innovation to the, the products and, and services that they're providing. And so that's what we need to get more and more companies of all sizes, not just corporations, but of all sizes to realize that, you know, there's a, there's a business reason why you want to be engaging with diverse businesses and LGBT businesses in particular. You know, so, so the other uh, diversity conversations, inclusivity conversations that we're having in our country are somewhat of a help here, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think what, what we've seen is with the, you know, unfortunate um, incidences that, that started last, last summer with, with George Floyd um, and have mm -hmm. continued um, through the, um, so not only the anti-Black racism, but the, um, the anti-Asian hate and the Indigenous injustices that are happening. What I think that that's doing is it's helping, I shouldn't say helping is maybe the wrong word, but it, it's raising the, the awareness of, of the importance of, of a more inclusive world. And, and, and business plays such an important piece of, of creating that, um, of helping to create that in inclusive um, and equitable uh, world. Yeah, I mean, no question, uh, you know, with so many conversations taking place, we're bound to raise awareness, we're bound to maybe have attitudes uh, progress in all of this. But uh, when I looked at this report, um, I had trouble trying to identify really strong prescriptions. Is, is, it, is it simply just a matter of time of, you know, the, the accretion of awareness that, that kind of works for this? Or, or are, there, are there things that you think are, um, are a lot more potent uh, as prescriptions at this point? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I think we're in a world now where I think we, um, 
you know, we, we want immediate gratification and, and everything we want faster and faster. Right. And so, um, I think time certainly, you know, is, is one, but I, I think in my opinion, this is where we need corporate Canada. We need governments to really step up and say like this, this is important. You know, we need to be making sure that all of our practices and, and policies are inclusive. And, you know, when we start to look at, again, I, you know, as I mentioned, pr procurement policies and practices, you know, really looking at the impact that that we can have in in all areas of business. And, you know, what happens when we, and the, the, the social benefit that, that derives from, you know, making sure that our LGBT-owned businesses are part of the the economic uh, landscape. You know, we, mm -hmm. we realize that that will help to continue to to drive this forward. So, you know, I, I think that the more that we can get um, corporate Canada and governments to to really get behind this and 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 to to help to put some, I guess, to to, to put some attention to this, I think is is one of the ways that we can kind of move this faster. Is there um, is there any basic institutional or legal impediment that you still see on this landscape that that has to be addressed? Um, no, uh, you know it, that's it's a really interesting question, and and I think that we we've we heard we hear quite often. Uh, especially when it, it comes to at the from a public perspective, you know, at, at the government level, is around you know free trade agreements and um, in terms of you know again going back to, to procurement and you know preferent as as quite often gets misconceived as is preferential treatment to diverse owned businesses um, and you know free trade agreements might prevent that, but that's not the case and we, we we've seen. Uh, we've seen models, uh, in inclusive procurement models, work extremely well uh, in the U.S. And, and here in Canada, if you look at you know cities like Toronto, who've done a great job of, of implementing social procurement policies, um, and and so I, I think that it is it's very much around it's it, it's around having internal policies and, and and practices. It's around changing kind of that the mindset of how we are doing business and, you know, we need to shift away from how we've always done business and think about what is, how can we improve? How can we improve how we're doing things? Um, not only for our own bottom line, but to create the impact within the communities in which we operate um, and live. And, and we know that again, by, by helping to economically empower, whether it's again the LGBT business community or any other diverse community, um, we know that that is helping to create that social change that's so critical for for many of these marginalized community groups. Yeah. Um, la last question: uh, When you uh, when you hold your your conference and and you know you hear from the membership about about what uh, you know what its experiences are and uh, and obviously you know you, there's also a whole lot of regular mundane things that you know the chambers of commerce end up doing um 
but I, I wonder if you if you have been able to identify as a result of your conference a, a couple of clear priorities for the the next year, particularly in this environment we're in right now, where we are having some of these conversations and where the window might be a little more open to to have things seen. Yeah, you're right. The the chambers do do some of the, the mundane stuff, you know, and you know, and so certainly, you know, we're we're talking about. Um, yeah, I've been to I've been to a few chamber of commerce meetings. Don't worry, I. You know, and it's, so they don't they don't they don't keep me awake uh, uh, at times, you know. So. <laughs> but you know what's important, you know, and why we do this con. There's a, there's a few reasons, and so yes, yeah, so certainly we you know we have the content that is you know it's about you know general business things, whether it's like marketing, social media, financing, you know, that sort of stuff that, you know, is helping our businesses, you know, grow and succeed, which is, which is important. But for me, it's really, it is very much around those conversations that are, are helping to advance, um, you know, and remove some of the barriers that we, we've talked about. And so when we, when we hear from, from out senior leaders at, um, RBC, for instance, and talking about what it means to be um, a, a powerful and inclusive leader, you know, that is what I think we need to be hearing from it, or these, these leaders that are, are stepping out, they are realizing the impact that they can create and their businesses can create by drawing greater attention and awareness to the, the, the power and the importance that the LGBT uh, business community can bring again to not only to our local communities, but to our, our national economy overall. So um, I think yeah. it's very much about, you know, trying to, to share those stories and, and get that message out there. Yeah. Well, I still found the study rather troubling, um, but it sounds as if there are a lot of hands applied to try to, get things going and make things better. Um, last, last question, what, was, um, what would you say happened in terms of the progression uh, or not during the pandemic? Yeah, so our, our businesses, as, as you can imagine, again, as a, as a Chamber of Commerce, we represent um, all businesses of all sizes, of in all industries across the country. And so, um, many of our businesses, you know, you know, had done very well. Um, they were able to either pivot or adapt, um, kind of weather the storm. But like the rest of, you know, um, kind of small businesses, they, you know, we did have some that suffered and, and closed. Um, and, and there's been lots of research that's come out that's shown that um, at the end of the day, it was the diverse owned businesses that kind of were hardest impacted um, yeah. through yeah. this. Um, and, and we, again, we have kind of, we have an understanding of why that is for, for the LGBT businesses um, intent in, you know, quickly in terms of the fact that they tend to skew a little bit smaller and, um, and a little bit younger. So, you know, they don't necessarily have the, the, the large reserves to kind of weather this, you know, what we, we never dreamt would be, you know, 18 months or whatever we're going into now. Um, you know, so you know, there's some of those reasons for sure. But, you know, I, I think that what, what has continued to amaze me, though, is the, at the end of the day, it's the resiliency of, of our, our community. And, 
you know, I, I talked about how early on, how kind of the LGBT community really came together to support each other. And, and I think that's what I've really seen a lot over this pandemic and, and you know, and, and throughout this week at our, our summit is the, how our community is just coming together and, and supporting one another. And it's, it's not only our LGBT business community, um, but it's our community at large. You know, I, you know, I, I was, I was saying that, that I, I want corporations and governments to do more, but I don't want, don't get me wrong is that they are doing a lot and our corporate partners, they showed up, they're, they're showing up this week. Our government partners are showing up this week because, um, you know, they, they understand and they want to be part of, of this change. And um, so I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think that, um, yes, this, this pandemic has been hard and it's been hard on all Canadian businesses. Um, but I, I just feel that our, our LGBT plus businesses are, are strong, they're resilient. And, um, you know, part of our, our theme is, you know, unstoppable. And, and I truly believe our, our businesses are unstoppable. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm hoping that what will come out of the summit in a little bit is just, you know, creating, you know, those added connections, those added support, um, and just hopefully a little bit of, of uh, motivation. So, you know, so we're not all walking away and troubled by this, this research, but see it as a, as a challenge for all of us to say, we need to change this. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good resting place for the conversation. Um, it's, you know, it's been really good. I'm, I'm very happy to have you, uh, have met you and, and brought you on uh, our podcast. Thanks a lot for your help today, Daryl. No, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on here. Thank you. Yeah. Daryl Sherman is the uh, CEO and co-founder of Canada's LGBT plus Chamber of Commerce. You've been watching BIV today. I'm Kirk Point. Thanks a lot for watching.